I want right now to introduce to you somebody whose life has touched the lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people around the world. And that is my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? The other day, a friend asked me how I was doing with my computer lessons. I was happy to tell her that I am making some progress. For instance, I recently discovered the identity of .com. Now, you can't blame me for that because where I come from, dot is short for Dorothy. So what else can I say? And anyway, that's not as bad as the man, a beginner like me, who pushed a button on his computer and this message flashed on the screen. Last action was invalid. Well, he got mad and he called the makers and said, how dare this machine call me an invalid? <laughs> well, humor aside, we all know that the computer has made an incredible contribution to the human race. But like the radio and TV before it, common sense and wise control is advised. Most of us are aware of the dangerous and evil material that can be seen on the internet. However, today I want to mention another aspect brought out in a recent US News and World Report. The report begins with a description of the face of childhood in this new millennium. And I quote, parents have been told that it's their responsibility to prepare children for a multitasking, technology-driven future, so they jumpstart their babies. Believing that starting earlier is starting better, they stick children who aren't even forming sentences yet in front of computer screens. The idea, buy the computer and the software and the brain will grow. But a growing number of educators, child development experts and doctors are beginning to speak out against early computer use. Educational psychologists say, in the early years, children begin to learn many of the skills that will carry them through the rest of their lives. For instance, language and socialization, the ability to organize their thoughts, and the concept of cause and effect. However, a number of reputable child specialists are now saying that too much screen time at a young age may actually undermine the development of these skills." End of quote. There's also debate about physical ramifications with some doctors saying that too much too early on the computer can be harmful to the eyes, wrists, arms and backs of young children. So what to do? Throw the computer out? No, they don't say that. And this is what I gleaned from the report. Number one, parents need to use common sense. And until we get results from some serious long-term studies, let's set reasonable limits on screen time for both young children and teenagers. Number two, teach children that a computer or the use of a computer is not the real world. It is only a tool, what is it? A tool to be used wisely in the real world. Number three, it's best not to have the computer in their bedroom, but rather in the kitchen or den where an 
adult can supervise. Number four, be sure you choose quality software. This report tells us that the market is loaded with rubbish and you can't necessarily rely on best sellers, retail displays, or even following what the schools use. At least 75% of children's education software shouldn't go home at any price, end of quote. I suggest that you get US News and World Report dated September 25, 2000 and read their recommendations. Now, if you are unable to get it, you can just write to me, care of the Carter Report, and just send a stamped self-addressed envelope and we'll mail it out to you. And I believe the address is on the screen. Dear friends, the best thing that we can do is to teach our children that life does not begin and end with computers or the internet, but rather life begins and ends with God, the creator of the universe. Working in Southern California is a culturally enriching experience. Some of the most amazing people I've met have been in Southern California. Los Angeles is the place to be for exciting times. We've had some wonderful people come through our doors. You'll see how this all fits in today as I get along, but let me just tell you about some of these characters. There is a person that we never, never forget in this church. We call her the bird lady. I don't expect she's going to see this telecast so I can tell you this story. You've heard of the bird man of Alcatraz. Well, we have the bird lady of the Carter Report. I can remember on one occasion, this lady came down the well area of the previous building and she wanted to talk to me and Javier sort of brought her down somewhat reluctantly. He said, this lady wants to ask you some questions. It was an interesting sight because she had her hair done up like in a beehive and nesting in her head, there was a live bird. <laughs> when I've told people about the bird lady, when I've told people like the Harkers about the bird lady, they have just looked at me and they've thought he's been out in the Californian sun for too long. This is impossible. Then the congregation will remember that charismatic person whom we euphemistically call the singer. Because on one occasion when we were doing a telecast and everybody was very, very excited and everything was moving along, she started to sing. I can remember once in Glendale walking down the busy intersection and I heard a voice above the traffic soaring high, drowning out the semi-trailers. It was the sweet singer and she would come and sometimes during the sermon, just when we told people, turn off your cell phones, nobody move around, she would burst into song, which was more powerful than 100 PA systems. Then there was the suing lady. The suing lady, yes, 
she made her living by suing people, particularly pastors. She came along and came down the front. Pastors are the last people to sue because they don't have money. But she took me to court two or three occasions. And when I got to court the last time when she was suing me, there was Pastor Tom Mostard, Lonnie Meloshenko, Mark Finley was supposed to be there, and some others in our church leadership. In the end, the general conference said, we've got to do something because she's taking so much time. She sued me in Los Angeles, then she sued me in Simi Valley. And so they paid her a sum of money, and she hasn't sued us since. But she was an interesting character that almost makes the bird lady look good. <laughs> and then was a person whose name was, I will call him Marnie, because that is not his name, Marnie, M being short for money, Marnie. I can remember years ago, he, these are true stories. He came to my church. He was the essence of piety. I've met few people who can say praise the Lord like Marnie. And he would go around, I was a little new here then, and he would visit around the people and he would go out much heavier than when he came in. He would take from the congregation hundreds of dollars. And so we thought, this man has a spiritual problem besides he's hurting the offering. <laughs> and so we took him aside and we said, it's not the thing to do. You should not be doing this, Marnie. And Beverly said, full of faith, I'm going to pray for this man that he's going to be reformed. And so Beverly started to pray and we all prayed for Marnie. And time went by and we didn't see him. And then he came to church dressed immaculately. I think he was wearing a thousand dollar boss suit. I looked at him and I thought, boy, someone's blessed that man. He came up to me and he said, Pastor Carter, praise the Lord. He always started with praise the Lord. He said, you are looking at a redeemed character. I said, Beverly's prayers have been answered. He said, uh, you know how I came and saw you? Yes, yes. He said, I'm now a redeemed character. I have lots of money. I have a business of my own. And I thanked God. And there I was standing somewhat basking in the glow of, of seeing a soul redeemed. And so he said, I've got to go now. And then he said, Pastor, just before I go, you wouldn't have 20 bucks, would you? <laughs> <laughs> but the most interesting character of all, the strangest of all, was Elijah. As you folks know, for years we have broadcast on a well-known radio station in Southern California called KFSG 96.3. One night on the radio, we were running there five nights a week, I preached on the return of Elijah the prophet. Very powerful message, how Elijah's going to come in the last days. He's going to have a tremendous message. And I noticed sitting in church week after week, a man who was not dressed like the bird lady and wasn't going around taking money out of the people's pockets, but he was dressed really immaculately. He was like Lani at the end, but he was dressed beautifully. And I thought to myself, well, 
we're attracting such a nice crowd of people here. I'm so glad that the people who are coming through the doors are such nice people. They wear suits. And he looks such, an, I looked at him because I consider that I've become an expert in picking winners. So I looked at him and I saw there the possibilities of an associate pastor. Or perhaps I had elder looked at him. And then he stayed behind and he came down the front and he said, Pastor Carter, I'm so honored to meet you. Well, that made me feel good straight away. I said, oh, it's nice to meet you. He said, uh, I've been listening to your programs on KFSG. They've been wonderful programs. I said, starting to warm to the man. I said, I'm so glad that you enjoy the programs. He said, the other night you spoke on the return of Elijah the prophet. I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, you described all the prophecies, how Elijah would come back? Yes. And he'd come back in the last days? Yes. And we're living in the last days, pastor? Yes, sir. He said, I have news for you today. I said, tell me. He said, I'm Elijah. <laughs> I said, uh, I thought I got it wrong. I said, just say that again. He said, I'm the Elijah. The Bible says he's going to come back. I'm Elijah. Then he said to me, I want to ask you some Bible questions. I said, ask me Bible questions. If you're Elijah, I ought to be asking you the questions. <laughs> now he stayed with us for a number of months and then he heard the call to move on and bless some other congregation. But listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Listen. People who make claims or act in strange ways usually have a serious mental problem. So what I'm saying, even though we're laughing, these folks had a problem up here. Back in Australia, we have a statement about a person like that. It's just a fun statement. We say, he's not a full quid. Now, do you know what a quid is? Well, they don't have them anymore in Australia, but they have them still in England. A quid is a pound note. The British quid is worth about $1.65. And so we used to have pound notes too until we got dollars, but the British will never have dollars because the Americans have got them too. And so the British have pound notes. It's more sophisticated. But we had pound notes for many years, and if you had five quid, that was a fair bit of money. Now, if a person is not completely what he ought to be in Australia, we would say, he's not a full quid. Now this man who came to see me, at least this man who said he was Elijah, my friend, was not a full quid. There was something wrong in the mind. Listen to this. This is very important. A person who claims to be someone else and believes it, or somebody else, Someone or somebody is either a charlatan, a liar, or if he's not that, he's insane. As a little boy next door to our house, 34 Key Street, Balimba, Brisbane, 
there was a little old lady whose name was Mrs. Scott. When I was a little boy, I couldn't say my words too well. I couldn't talk at all until I was seven or eight. And I used to call her Mrs. Dot. And Mrs. Dot became a believer, accepted Christ and this great message that we love with all our hearts. And Mrs. Scott had a great missionary zeal. And she would take me as a little boy. She used to call me Johnny Pops. We're not going to start this here. And she, she said, Johnny Pops, see, I was this high. That's a long time ago, and don't you folks forget it. You don't want me telling stories about you, do you? So she'd say, Johnny Pops, come with me to Goodner. Now, Pastor Harker sort of rolled his eyes, because Goodner is about 20 or 30 miles out of Brisbane towards Ipswich, and it's where they have an insane asylum. And so she used to go there and do missionary work, and she'd say to me, these folks shouldn't be in here. They're just the most wonderful people. And most of them seemed to be very nice people, especially the old man who came up to me, and Mrs. Scott introduced him. And he said to me, I shouldn't be here. I'm Napoleon. <laughs> That's why he's there. Because he thought he was... Napoleon. Now the man, my friend, who said he was Elijah also needs to be in a place like that too because he's not telling lies, that man. He really believes it. And he believes it because he's crazy. Now listen carefully to this because this, I'm coming to the theme of the talk. 2,000 years ago, there lived a man among us who was born of a woman who made the most extraordinary claims in history. No person ever made the claims that this person made. You can't say, well, you know, he's just a nice guy. No, no, no. A person who made the claims that he made if those claims were not dinky-die, fair dinkum, and genuine, that person, if he made those claims, he's not a nice guy, he's a crook. He's a fraud. Or worse still, he's mad. But there's only one of two ways you can go. Either reject him, as the greatest fraud in the history of the world, or worship him. I want you to notice the most extraordinary pronouncements that have ever been made by a human being. Would you please take your Bibles today? And I'm glad that you're here, and I want to welcome every person, especially my friends and colleagues, Danny and Linda Shelton. John chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now answer me, are you folks having a good time today? John chapter 8, and we're going to start, dear friends, at verse 48. And here Jesus is having a theological discussion with the Pharisees, with the Jewish people of his day. Now John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and a demon possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. 
and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorified me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. In his debate with the religious leaders of his day, Jesus said, before Abraham was, not I was, but Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now listen carefully to this. I want you to get the full strength of what this man called Jesus was saying. Because if you go back to the days of the Old Testament, back to the book of Exodus, you find that on one occasion Moses went out into the wilderness, out into the desert. And when he went out into the desert, he saw a bush that was on fire. And the bush was blazing away, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I must go over and observe this amazing sight, this bush that doesn't burn. And as Moses went over to observe the burning bush, a voice spoke and said, Moses, Moses, take off the shoes from your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. Moses heard this voice. It was the voice of Almighty God. The voice said, Moses, I'm going to send you to the elders of Israel because the time has come for me to deliver my people. I've heard their groaning down in the land of Egypt and by my strong right hand I'm going to take them out of the land of Egypt. Moses said, if I do what you say, and if I go to the children of Israel, they're going to ask me your name. What shall I tell them? And Almighty God said, go to the children of Israel and tell them my name. I am that I am. Tell them, I am has sent me. Then the next verse 
Exodus 3 goes on to say that the Lord then said this to Moses, the Lord. Listen carefully. Look at this on the blackboard. In the Hebrew language, there is the word that sums up everything about Almighty God. This word, scholars believe, comes from the expression, I am. It talks about the fact that he is self-existent. Where did God come from? Who created God? Nobody. If anybody created him, then he cannot be God. And the name that is given to God there is in most translations, it is printed Lord with big letters, Lord. And whenever this word Lord is in big letters, it comes from the tetragrammaton. And the Hebrew people hold this word in such awe and in such respect that you won't hear a Jew like Joe Lieberman ever say this word. This word is Elohim, which is simply the word for God. But everybody, almost everybody in the world believes in this God. Almost everybody believes in El, Elohim. If you go and talk to the Muslims, they worship Elohim. If you go and talk to the New Age people, they will not argue with you about the concept of there being a God. They believe in God. God in America has become exceedingly popular, and so God is believed in by almost everybody. All the presidential candidates believe in God. The people in Hollywood believe in God. But there is a special word, the word that describes the self-existent one, and that is this word here. Years ago, when I was in Jerusalem, I attended, I went to the... Uh, Hebrew University, and I sat down there with a well-known Jewish scribe, and he was translating the Bible, and I watched the pen, I watched the stylus as he wrote the Hebrew words, and when he came to this word, he washed his hands. And I, as a Gentile without consideration for his feelings, said, I noticed that you washed your hands before you wrote the word Yahweh. He blanched. He said, that is the name we do not take upon our lips. We refer to, the, to God, to El Elohim, El Shaddai, the almighty God, but not that word. This word Yahweh, which we speak with great reverence, is not to be taken lightly upon our lips. Those who use the word the Lord, which is used in the scriptures for Yahweh in blasphemy, do not understand the greatness of their sin. And this word Yahweh refers 
to the great I am, the self-existent God. The God who spoke the world into existence out of nothing. The God who was there at the time of the Big Bang 15 billion years ago or whatever it is, I don't care. But the God who spoke the cosmos into existence is Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God. And Jesus said to the Jews before Abraham was, I am. And as monotheists who believed in the sacredness of the divine name to hear a Jewish carpenter take those words upon his lips, they became so incensed that they took up stones to stone him. Jesus claimed to be Yahweh. If Jesus was not Yahweh, don't patronize him and say he was a good man. He was not a good man. He was a fraud, a liar, a deceiver, as many people believe today. Or perhaps he was none of those things. He was simply an insane man. He was crazy. Jesus was not a God man. He was a madman. But it is either one or the other. Before Abraham was, I am. He made other staggering claims. Claims such as human beings have never made in the history of the world. I want you to notice a few of these claims that this man made. John chapter 6, 32 to 35. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6, please, in the Bible. And verse 32 and onwards. And please turn in your Bibles. John chapter 6, verse 32 and onwards. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Could you imagine, I put it to you, listen to this, could you imagine coming to church today, and I'm your pastor, and I say to you, if you take my words that I have written, the words that I have said, and if you feed on those words, you will never die. Because I am the bread that came down from heaven. I would be like the crazy man who came to me and said, I am Elijah. Read on with me, dear friend. Read on with me. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then if you come down a little further, verse 66, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You know why? Because what he was saying was so extraordinary. He was claiming not to be a prophet. Moses never said anything like this. No person who wrote any book in the Bible ever said anything like this. But Jesus says, if you eat me, if you drink my blood, you're never going to die. I am the bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats this bread, he will never, never die. Come to another one of these extraordinary claims. Come to John chapter 8 and verse 12. Basically, today we're staying in John because there is so much. John chapter 8, an extraordinary claim. John chapter 8, verse 12. Here Jesus says, have you got it? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said, I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm the bread of life. If you eat this bread, you'll never die. Then Jesus said, and there he was standing and the sun was shining down upon his disciples. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never, never walk in the darkness. He was either the greatest egotist, the greatest fool, the greatest liar. I've had a little to do in the last few years with one or two con men. Men who are smooth and oily and who are after your money. I've had something to do with some of these people. Is Jesus the ultimate con man? I am the light of the world. Think of the great teachers in this world, the great philosophers, the great writers, the great poets, the great thinkers. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Alfred Lord Tennyson, the great British poet, said, he was right. Our little systems have their day. They have their day and they are gone. They are but broken lights of thee. And thou, O Lord, art more than they. All of the great minds in the world are simply reflected broken lights. He said, 
I am the light of the world and all the light that people have simply comes from me. So I say to you, it is plain. He is either a madman or the God-man. Come now to another one of his great sayings. Come to John chapter 10 and verse 9. Another extraordinary claim. John chapter 10 and verse 9, my dear friends. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus said, I'm the door. Can you imagine this? Could you imagine what you'd think about me if I came to you and I said to you, Follow me. I'm the door to your salvation. Simply do what I tell you to do and you're going to be saved. You would say, this man is a charlatan or else you would be extremely naive to believe such a foolish statement. But here is a man saying, I am the door. Therefore, he is saying to us today, not Buddha, he's not the door. No. Not Muhammad, the leader of the Muslims, he's not the door. Not even Moses, the great man of the Jewish people of the Old Testament, he's not the door. Jesus is talking to Jews and the people of the book, and he says, I am the door. He is saying that the only way that a person can be saved is through him. Not just through a God. If you talk to the New Age people, they'll say to you, well, of course we believe in God. And they have prayers and they sing hymns and they talk about maybe a God out here, but particularly a God inside. But Jesus, my friend, went beyond talking about God. You see, in a sense, while there is only one great Yahweh, only one, only one, only one, there are many gods. There are thousands of gods. There are thousands of Ls, because that is the word. But Jesus said, you're not saved by belief in a God. I am the door. I am the only way to get into the kingdom of God. Little wonder, my friend, that the, the Jews who were so devout for Judaism and who believed they had the teachings of Moses, no wonder they became so mad with this man and eventually put him on a cross. I want you to notice, come with me please, I put over here on the blackboard the theme of this talk, Jesus, liar, Madman, deceiver, fraud. Remember the man who came to me and said, Pastor Carter, I'm Elijah. We all laugh about this man. Jesus said more things than that man said. Jesus said, I am the Lord, in capital letters. I'm Yahweh, Elohim. I am that I am. Jesus, liar, madman, deceiver, fraud, 
or God-man, the way, the truth, and the life. And he said that. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What extraordinary claims, and is there any wonder that the Jews became incensed about him? Jesus said things like this, if you accept me, you will know what truth is. You will know the truth about God, the truth about yourself. You'll know the truth about your origin. You'll know the truth about your future. You'll know the truth about everything that counts because I am the truth. So he made the extraordinary claim that if a person would take him into their hearts, then they would know the truth. They would have the truth because he is the truth. How amazing. If you go to the universities of America and the universities of Europe, you'll find something very, very sad. If you go to the great universities and go to the schools of philosophy, listen to this carefully, you'll find that 99% of secular philosophers in UCLA, in Berkeley, in Princeton, or Yale do not believe the truth can be found. Is this a new idea? No, Pilate turned to the Lord and he said, what is truth? Jesus said, I came into the world to bear testimony to the truth. And Pilate, who'd been brought up with this garbage, turned to the Lord and said, what is truth? Dr. Schaefer said the philosophers of the world are trapped in a room and the room is circular and there's no light in the room. The lights have been pulled out and there are no windows and there are no doors and the great philosophers of the world are walking around the room. They're going around in a circle and they're looking for a way out. They are looking for truth. And so today when you come to them and you say, truth can be found, they laugh at you and they say, there is no truth. But this Jewish carpenter, young rabbi said, I am the way. Not Moses. Not St. Paul, not St. Peter, not the Pope, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any church committee. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Either he was mad or something else. And then he said, almost in his last breath, well, he had a little way to go, a few more hours. Pilate said to him, so you're a king then? He said, yes, I am a king. For this very reason I came into the world. I am a king. The Romans and the Jews said he's not a king. He's a Jew and he's a carpenter. At the most, he's an itinerant preacher. Jesus said, I am a king. 
said, he's no king. He's a liar. And if he's not a liar, he's crazy. But what happens if he is? What happens if he is? Some years ago, I conducted meetings in the city of Canberra. Not Canberra, Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, in the Australian Capital Territory. An old philosophy, a philosopher from the Australian National University came to the meetings. I went to visit him one night with Russell Kranz. The old man said, this Jesus whom you talk about, I admire him. Such a good man. He said, I've read some of his writings. I've read the New Testament. I've read the Gospels. He was a good man. I said to him, Professor, if he's not what he said he was, he's not a good man. He's a humbug. Don't try to patronize this Christ and say like Gandhi, the leader of the Indians, he was a great man. If he wasn't what he said he was, then my friend, he was a liar, a madman, a deceiver, or a fraud. But let me tell you why I believe this bottom line. And my proofs are very simple, and they're powerful, and I believe they're convincing. Well, I believe what he said is true. 2,000 years of history tell me that this man is without a peer. The more you look at him, the better he gets. I love Winston Churchill. like to read his books. I've read one of the books about him, The Last Lion. Great man who saved the world for democracy against the onslaughts of the Nazis. When it appeared as though the world would go to the wall, he stood alone without the aid of the United States on that occasion until Pearl Harbor. But as you read his life, the more you read about him, you admire his geni genius, his stubbornness, his lips sticking out, who would not give in, but you read of many imperfections, his drunkenness, his flakiness on occasions, how he could change party simply because he wanted opportunity. And so when you look at Jesus, you must say, I find no fault in him. The more you look at him, the more you're convinced that he is the greatest person who ever lived in the history of the world. That's what Time Magazine and secular writers say, he is the greatest man who ever lived. How can he be the greatest man if he was a liar and a cheat and insane? I would suggest to you that he was what he said he was because he is the greatest benefactor of the human race. If there had been no Christ, slavery would be practiced still today in the United States as it was in the Roman Empire. One of his disciples Wilberforce broke the chains of slavery in Britain. Later on, it spread to America. 
No woman should ever criticize this man because if it were not for this man, you would be pregnant and barefooted in the kitchen. Where you are in certain countries that do not respect his lordship, he's done more for women than any other man. If you go to India, you'll find that even though the government denies it, young women are still burned with their old husbands because they're not good as men. They're really chattels. His teachings have a tremendous power to elevate, power to save lives, heal the sick. Pastor Harker last week told you about his experiences in Papua New Guinea. Pastor Harker is not a theorist. He is not an armchair theologian who is too lazy to get up and go out and do some mission work. He has been to the places where the cannibals have lived more than any of us here. He told you last week the story of Musau. The government said get rid of them. They're cannibals. They're scum. They're just dirty scum. They're going to kill each other off. Let them do it. But people went there like Pastor and Mrs. Harker and took them Christ. Today, Musau is a center of sending missionaries to the world. Let the skeptic do something. But I detest about the liberal. Detest it right through my bones is that the liberal continually pokes fun at the Bible and the great heritage of America. What has the liberal ever done but waste our taxes? And bring in laws that have destroyed Tens of millions of little babies. A dog has more rights than an unborn baby in America. I detest the philosophy of the liberals who poke fun at Christ. At a certain great convention recently, they mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. What have they done? It's only because of the influence of this man that they can sleep easy, put them in charge, and soon there'd be a reign of terror. But there's another reason I know that what he said was true. He rose from the dead. He said, destroy this body. Three days, I'm going to come alive again. He said, I am that I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They laughed at him, but nobody could laugh at him when he walked out of the tomb. Yeah. He stood there as the Lord of all creation and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't be a spiritual coward. Think logically and honestly, maybe for the first time in your life. Don't say he's a good man. Because if what he said is not true, he's not a good man. He's a cheat, a fraud, a liar, a humbug, a windbag. He's insane. 
But if what he said is true, oh, come, let us adore him. Pilate turned to the Jewish leaders. After this weak politician had tried to save the Lord, I despise him too. A man who thought more of his political power than the blood of the Son of God. Then he turned to the crowd and he said, What then shall I do with this man who was called Jesus? And the mob, lusting for blood, cried out, Crucify him! Will you do the same? Will you crucify him? Because unless he's Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. Don't patronize him! Lord of all, or not Lord at all, unless he is on the throne of my heart, then he's not the great I am. There was another man who was a skeptic who said he's not alive. I won't believe until I see the nail prince see the spear mark in his side. And a week later, Jesus walked into the room and said, Peace be to you. And then he turned to Thomas. He said, Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Be not faithless but believing. And Thomas fell at the feet of the Lord and said, My Lord and my God. Amen. Amen. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us kneel. Oh, Father God, save us from the weak, wishy-washy, marshmallow religion of Southern California and of much of this great land of America and of much of the world where we say in charity, oh, he's a great guy. He was a nice fellow. but he was a little bit off. And on the 25th of December, we'll throw a party in honor of his name. But don't let him come too close to us because we want to live the way we want to live. And thus we crucify the Son of God afresh. Help us to know today is the old professor in Canberra came to realize that if he's not what he said he was, we want no part with this man. He was a madman. He was a fraud. He was a 
con man. He was a charlatan. We don't want to have anything to do with him. But if he was what he said he was, and his works prove it, then today we need to face up to the reality and the challenge of the Godhead of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, come, let us adore him. As we're praying in this temple today, 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, California, how many will raise a hand and say, I want Jesus to be Lord of all in my life? Lift up your hand. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Fully Lord of all. Remember, unless he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so today, we worship you, O Christ. Thank you.